Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Today, we turn our focus to foreign affairs with conversations about Israel and Ukraine. A little later, I'll speak with an American lawyer and consultant who works with businesses in Ukraine about how Ukrainians are coping with the ravages of Russian aggression. But we'll begin with Israel, which is experiencing tremendous internal political tension and terrible violence. Last month, my wife Lanelle and I visited Israel for 10 days. It was our first time visiting this fascinating and complex country. We were there with our dear friends Rabbi Daniel Katzenberg and Rabbi Miriam Katzenberg, both of whom have lots of experience working and studying in Israel. They were fantastic guides who fashioned a terrific itinerary that took us to sites important to both Jewish and Christian history throughout the country. We spent several days in Jerusalem, and on Saturday night, February 18th, when Shabbat had ended and the sun had set, we walked just a few blocks from where we were staying to a large protest in front of the house of Isaac Buzi Herzog, the president of Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu, who everybody calls Bibi, lives not far from Herzog's house, but the political power that each wields couldn't be more disparate. The president of Israel plays a largely ceremonial role. It is the prime minister and the Knesset that shape the laws and public policy in Israel. Bibi Netanyahu is the longest-serving prime minister in Israeli history. He served as PM six different times. His latest term began in December of 2022, when he formed a far-right coalition that returned him to power. It is the most right-wing coalition to govern Israel in the country's history, and it has wasted no time in enacting legislative and policy positions that have created tremendous political polarity among Israelis and which have heightened tensions with Palestinians. The group of protesters that I encountered in Jerusalem 10 days ago numbered in the thousands. Subsequent protests in the last few days have drawn hundreds of thousands to Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, and other cities. The anger at the government stems from its attempts to weaken the authority of the courts. Netanyahu and his allies are proposing changing the way Supreme Court justices are chosen and allowing Parliament to overturn any decision the Supreme Court makes in regards to what are known as basic laws, which are equivalent to constitutional amendments even though there is no written constitution in Israel. Critics fear that this would allow this right-wing government to push through radical legislation and trample on the rights of minorities in this democratic society. Much of the coverage in the American press about this controversy focuses on the fact that the prime minister himself is a current litigant in a court case in which he has been charged with corruption. If he prevails in changing the laws regarding judicial review, it's possible that if convicted, that decision could be overturned by his allies in Parliament. I spoke with several people who attended the protest. Netanyahu's legal troubles were not top of mind and a big cause of concern. They were to a person much more concerned with the diminishment of democratic norms and protections. Iska Arald, age 78, comes every week to protests with her 74-year-old sister, Mikal. She cited the divide between religious Jews and secular Jews. I don't think most of the, you know, the people understand exactly what's going to be. 
This is what is worrying me. And I thought I was as I'm working with the religious people, and some people I told them they doesn't know anything because they doesn't watch TV, they doesn't see the. I mean, they get only information what the religious give them or you know other people. I don't know. I don't. Know. I'm very worried. I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I won't be here in ten years, but but, but I hope. For the the new regime, I mean the the youngs, I'm very worried. Really, it's not my country anymore. Omar and Anaf are a married couple in their late twenties. Omar thinks that if the laws are changed, life in their country will be forever changed. Well, we think that the reform, as the minister calls it, is uh, is. Undemoc- like deleting or removing the democracy in Israel, it uh, it changes the way we live. It will change the way we live here. It gives too much power to the government, to the prime minister, and it makes the Israel. Not, it will change Israel forever. The president, Bougie Herzog, whose home was the site of the protest, had proposed a compromise that Omar and Anav thought deserved to be considered by Arif Levin the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Justice in the Netanyahu coalition government. President Herzog just proposed this week a great, a great let's say, alternative to the reform of Minister Levin. I hope that the two sides, the coalition and the opposition, will sit together and agree on something close to the proposal of President Herzog. And do you do you agree with the with the with the compromise that President Herzog has uh, suggested? Uh, not all, but you know, it's the compromise. It's uh, between both it's sides. It's a great start. Yeah, it's a great start for the negotiation of the two sides. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Uh, the Minister Levin uh, is not even ready to, to speak about any changes, so uh, it's it's almost irrelevant. I also spoke with Asher Kaufman a 58-year-old lawyer. He called the actions of the government a forced coup, and he suggested that President Herzog's compromise proposal wasn't forceful enough. Well, I think he should make a stronger statement than his uh, attempted uh, compromise, a stronger statement about uh, the risks that are facing uh, Israel. And uh, clearly his effort uh, from last week to... You know, to call to some, you know, a negotiated uh, arrangement agreement between the parties didn't go far. And uh, uh, I'm not sure that uh, a different call would make uh, any different uh, difference uh, now. But uh, it's important. He's holding a very important position uh, within the Israeli political system. And the need, we need to hear a stronger voice from him. But I'm here not because I have, uh, you know, particular hopes about uh, him. I'm here because it is necessary now for all Israelis to uh, be present in this moment, which has been defined by others as, a, you know, a new war of independence for Israel. And I do think that uh, we are at this level of, uh, of uh, danger. Are you worried that the country is divided, that, that there is a division in the country that... Uh, is uh, concerning to you? Yeah, I think it's extremely disconcerting. It is, a, it is extremely disconcerting for me, but it should also be disconcerting for the sitting government 
and the Prime Minister. And my, I'm also concerned that uh, it is not, he may not see it as uh, uh, in the same way as I see the, the rift. That what concerns him is, you know, his own uh, uh, survival, political survival. And uh, this has been, this is what has been motivating him for the last uh, three years. This is why we are all here. And uh, my concern is that he puts his own personal uh, interests before the country's uh, interest. Are there any things about the judicial, judicial reform suggestions that you do agree with? Do you think uh, this, the current uh, way things are done should stay exactly the same way? Are there any changes you might consider making? I don't think about anything that should, you know, there's nothing sacred in the Israeli judicial uh, uh, system. But it is at the same time, the way that this government is approaching this idea of supposed reform is something that I strongly disapprove of. And, you know, Israel doesn't have three uh, branches of uh, government. Israel barely has uh, two. And if you take away the independence of the judiciary, you're left with one. You know, I mean, because the executive and the, uh, the, legislative. the, the legislative branches are one in Israel. So, in fact, we have, you know, a political system that is already crumbling with regards to, you know, the, 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 the traditional three branches of a, a democratic system. So if you take away the independence of the judiciary, you are left with, with one, and that's not a democracy. If you've just joined us, it's midday. I'm Tom Hall. We've heard from some of the thousands of people in Jerusalem who I spoke with last month at a rally to protest against proposed legislation that would transfer a lot of authority from the courts to the legislature in Israel. And joining me now is Samuel Sokol. He's a reporter for Haaretz based in Tel Aviv. He's been covering the judicial review controversy and the violence in the West Bank and elsewhere. He joins us on Zoom from Tel Aviv. Sam, thanks so much for your time. I'm grateful. Thank you for having me. So what's the latest on the protests? Uh, They have uh, gotten bigger and bigger over the last uh, several weeks. And I understand there was even uh, some violence uh, at one of the protests in Tel Aviv yesterday. What can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, the protests today in Tel Aviv were among the largest protests we've seen. And the current series of protests are among the largest uh, sustained protest movements we've seen in Israel since the lead up to the disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Today's protests in Tel Aviv saw the use of stun grenades, uh, high-pressure water hoses, and resulted in numerous uh, numerous wounded and uh, multiple arrests. This is something that is common to protests by small groups of extreme religious extremists in uh, Jerusalem or the West Bank. We haven't seen anything like this on this scale regarding mainstream Israeli society for a very long time. I understand that uh, the protests have uh, really uh, closed down traffic between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, for example. Uh, they've really uh, they, they've had a, a significant impact on people's daily lives. It very much has. In fact, uh, this morning, when I took my train to Tel Aviv, I would have been told that the previous train had been delayed because of people on the tracks. Uh, I think there's a feeling in Israel, and there has been a feeling for a long time on the right, that the court has too much power. And 
I think there's a wide range of Israelis from the right to the left that do agree that some sort of uh, reforms or tweaks uh, may be good or necessary. But I think the issue for most Israelis is that they don't see what's happening now as tweaks. They see this as spanking a recalcitrant child with an axe. It's wildly disproportionate. And while there are people who would say we need to uh, overhaul issues of just disability or standing, the idea that the Knesset, the parliament, can declare that any judicial uh, ruling finding a law unconstitutional, you know, to, to overturn and override that legal filing and the fact that the new uh, the new laws would give the government carte blanche to select judges, it just concentrates all of the power within the executive and the uh, you know and the legislature, which are essentially one in this country, and gets rid of any idea of a uh, of a balance of power between the uh, the various branches of government. So this has many people very worried. Uh, in fact, during a recent Knesset hearing, one of the architects of the current uh, judicial overhaul, uh, Simcha Rothman, explicitly stated that the laws as written at the moment that he's trying to get through the Knesset would strip away the legal basis for voting rights in Israel. He said that he doesn't want to do anything to harm said rights, but that essentially there would be no protections for them anymore. So this has many, many people here worried. In fact, up to more than 40% of voters for Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu's only good party are against the overhaul. And uh, was there a vote today? I mean, this, this legislation, despite these protests, the legislation does appear to be moving forward in the Knesset. There was a vote scheduled for today. Did that take place? So there was a committee vote today. Uh, on a law which would require 12 out of 15 justices on the high court to agree that a that a bill violates one of the basic laws in order to invalidate that bill. And that uh, passed its vote within committee. Now it has to go through three separate readings uh, in the Knesset plenum in order to uh, be enshrined into law. But the the process is moving ahead and there has not been much dialogue or discussion. It's just pushing it through as fast as possible. And uh, explain to folks, because here in America, there's a, uh, there's a constitution. Uh, the Supreme Court examines the constitution word by word uh, when they're making their uh, determinations here in the U.S. In Israel, there isn't any written constitution. There's a movement to have one, but uh, they haven't come up with it yet. Um, what is a basic law? Because that's sort of at the core of this disagreement here. Uh, the The court rules uh, on, on these so-called basic laws. Can you give us a little primer and explain what those are? Well, as you said, there's no constitution, no written constitution in Israel. And what the basic laws are are, in the absence of a constitution, semi-constitutional uh, legislation. What that means in practice is many times unclear because they are passed in the same way as any regular legislation with a, uh, with a majority in the Knesset. If you have 61 
uh, out of 120 members of the Knesset voting, uh, and they support it, then it it passes. It's no different in terms of how it's passed or maintained than any regular law, but essentially these are the laws that enshrine the uh, workings of the electoral system, the workings of the Knesset, uh, protect basic rights, and they've been interpreted by the High Court over the years in this quasi-constitutional sense, so that any regular legislation which has not been a, deemed a basic law can be invalidated on the basis of violating the uh, the clauses of said basic laws. It's a system that's deeply flawed in many ways, very complicated, and has made it very easy to make the kinds of structural changes to the way Israel operates that would be impossible in the United States with a written constitution. Samuel Sokol is a reporter for Haaretz based in Tel Aviv, Israel. We're talking about the situation, the political situation, which is quite fraught at the moment. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you have a question or comment for Sam Sokol, our number here at midday, 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org. You can tweet us at midday WIPR or follow me. It's at Tom Hall. WIPR. So, Sam, um, is there any parallel uh, in terms of the the people who are for and against this judicial review package of legislation? Uh, Are there parallels between uh, those political camps uh, when it comes to settlements and when it comes to the Palestinians and when it comes to the violence that we've seen uh, in particular over the last week or two? Uh, are, are these, are, do, do the alignments uh, remain consistent from issue to issue or, or are there different constituencies for both of these issues? Uh, I guess to make a gross generalization, I would say that those who tend to be more on the left side of the political spectrum are against the reforms, while those on the right who uh, support settlements are against it. But that would be, while generally true, inaccurate. Uh, the opposition to the reforms is very widespread in Israeli society. Uh, more than 60% of Israelis are against uh, against the uh, judicial overhaul. And as I said, that includes large pluralities, though not majorities by any stretch of the imagination, of voters for several of the parties that make up the current coalition. Uh, This is really something that has galvanized uh, opposition across the political spectrum. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll have more with Sam Sokol. He is a reporter for Haaretz. He's based in Tel Aviv, Israel. He's the author of a book about Russian aggression in Ukraine called Putin's Hybrid War and the Jews, Anti-Semitism, Propaganda, and the Displacement of Ukrainian Jewry. We will have more on the situation in Israel, 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio, 881 WIPR. 
Welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow on our show, it's Midday with the Mayor. Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott joins me to talk about the controversy surrounding the deal that he's cut with BGE to maintain and service the conduit system. After I speak with the mayor, I'll speak with Baltimore Comptroller Bill Henry, who has questioned the deal and who opposed approving it. We'll try to sort out where things stand tomorrow on Midday. If you've just joined us today, my guest is Samuel Sokol, a reporter with Haaretz based in Tel Aviv, Israel. We're talking about the spate of violence in the West Bank and the escalating protests against the Netanyahu government's attempts to reduce the authority of the judiciary in Israel, the so-called judicial review laws, package of legislation that is moving through the Knesset. Our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wypr.org, and you can tweet us at midday WIPR. So, Sam, uh, when I was in Tel Aviv, there was a, a very small protest uh, one afternoon, uh, maybe 100 people walking uh, on one of the main thoroughfares uh, in Tel Aviv. This was couple of weeks ago, two, two and a half, three weeks ago almost. Um, and one of the concerns uh, that folks in Tel Aviv had uh, was that business uh, would be reluctant to uh, locate in Israel, do business in Israel because of the anti-democratic uh, nature of these judicial reform laws. Tel Aviv, a big tech center uh, in particular, uh, and they were concerned that the economic impact of these laws was going to be significant. Is there any evidence so far that even given the, the, the prospect of these judicial reform laws passing, uh, that businesses are pulling out of Tel Aviv and elsewhere uh, in, in Israel? Well, we've seen a number of companies say that they intend to withdraw funds from Israel or to move operations abroad. Uh, there was one uh, venture capital fund with something like, I think, quarter of a billion dollars uh, saying that they were going to move abroad. And we've had warnings both from uh, international credit rating agencies and several former uh, officials at the uh, heads of the Bank of Israel saying that this is essentially a, uh, economic suicide. And I think that's... Uh, the general consensus within the business and economic community that this is not going to lead to anything good. Is the Netanyahu coalition holding? Uh, there was news in your paper a couple of days ago that one of the deputy ministers, a guy named Avi Moaz, uh, who represents a fundamentalist uh, party called the Noam Party, it's uh, known for its homophobia in particular, that he has resigned from the government. I mean, Bibi Netanyahu uh, was elected, you know, this is the sixth uh, run he's made at prime minister, far and away the longest serving prime minister in the history of Israel. Um, but he, he had to put together a coalition of very far right extremist parties in order to, uh, you know, return to power. Um, are there any signs that that coalition is beginning to crack? I think we're seeing initial signs. It's going to be hard to tell, though, if uh, the tensions that we're seeing now will lead to a breakdown of the government. We've seen Avi Maoz leaving his uh, ministerial spot, even though he's staying within the coalition. We've seen members of a couple of the religious parties uh, boycott meetings, uh, coalition meetings, over complaints that uh, Netanyahu's Likud party has not kept to their coalition agreements. But I think many on the far right realize that this is their one opportunity to enact sweeping, uh, sweeping change and that while they have the opportunity to do so, I'm not sure that they're going to want to, to lose that over 
things that are smaller in the grand scheme of things. Uh, that being said, it's impossible really to, to, to know until it happens. What's been the foreign reaction to these judicial review laws, uh, and and has the Netanyahu government responded uh, to to other countries who've uh, who've raised concerns? Well, American Ambassador Time Nidus directly told Netanyahu on more than one occasion that he has to quote pump the brakes on judicial reform. Uh, Israel's American partners are very worried, and there have been. Uh, calls to slow down or stop this process uh, from multiple international partners. These calls have not been heeded by the government. And in fact, one, uh, one minister uh, came out to actively say that the Americans should mind their own business. So uh, this has not only caused internal domestic divisions, but it is harming Israel's standing in the world. We have a caller, Richard, who's calling from Lockhearn. Richard, welcome to Midday with Sam Sokol of Haaretz. I would like to ask the reporter from Haaretz if he thought that perhaps if the United States didn't give give in on, to Israel every chance they get because they're afraid of losing votes in America, that would help the uh, anti-BB people be able to slow things down because uh, the United States didn't give all their weapons uh, on all the other support that we give them. All right, Sam, your your uh, reaction to to Richard's comments. I mean, American support for Israel, you know, obviously uh, is long standing, um, but it doesn't sound like the Netanyahu government is uh, paying much heed to uh, you know their their admonitions right now, uh, and they may not even be paying all that much heed to the protests on the streets. I don't think there's much interest on uh, either side of the Atlantic in doing anything that harms strategic ties between the two countries. Aside from issues of shared values, which are now being uh, sorely tested, there are strategic issues as well. And I don't believe that uh, messing with the current dynamic would do anything to, uh, to, shift, uh, to shift the needle over here, nor do I think many uh, who are opposing Netanyahu would be in favor of that. There's, I think it's two separate issues. There was terrible violence uh, in a village called Hawara on Sunday. Uh, some 400 settlers uh, attacked Palestinians. They burned many homes and cars. Uh, the Israeli army has been uh, uh, criticized for not doing much to stop it. They have arrested six settlers, but there was a, a huge mob, much, much more than just six people uh, in Hawara. But um, is there, what is the relationship, if, if there is any relationship, between these protests on judicial reform and the violence that's taking place in the West Bank? Well, I think the only real connection is that both uh, can be tied back to the Israeli far right. Uh, the right-wing parties in power right now are very far from the traditional uh, religious nationalist parties and secular right-wing parties that have really dominated the Israeli right for most of its history. Uh, this is not your father's, uh, you know, right wing. And uh, what we've seen is, in recent months and years, is a rapid rise in violence in the West Bank with uh, a large number of uh, attacks being foiled, Palestinian attacks on Israelis, and a small number of really deadly attacks that have been able to get through. And at the same, by the same token, we've also seen in recent years 
uh, a steady rise in violence by settlers against Palestinians, often in retaliation for attacks. And unfortunately, and this was, uh, was discussed in a U.S. State Department report, which came out earlier this week, there has been uh, a little bit of a problem in Israel, to say the least, in terms of how the army manages to defend Palestinians from violence by settlers. Uh, there's been either an inability or unwillingness to grapple with the issue and to admit that there's a problem. So what we saw in Hawara, uh, when several hundred settlers uh, took to the village in what one uh, IDF general called a pogrom in retaliation for the shooting deaths of two Israelis several hours earlier, was, was really like a pogrom. It was like a one of the 19th century attacks on Jewish communities in Tsarist Russia. Uh, dozens of buildings were burned down. One person was shot to death. Uh, dozens of people were, were injured. And the army was unable to get a handle on it for six long hours. And I think this was a wake-up call for many people that at the same time that Israel is fighting Palestinian terrorism, it has to also fight Israeli violence. And this is, this is something that not only shocked many people, but many people here were shocked even more to see members of the government uh, endorsing this. So uh, the finance minister, Bitsalos Motrich, uh, in comments today, actually said he wanted to see the village razed to the ground. And one uh, member of the coalition, who is not a minister, is actually currently being investigated by police for incitement for making statements uh, supportive of the violence. And in our, our last minute here, um, I do need to ask you about the confusion over uh, the issue of settlements. There was a summit held in Jordan uh, in a place called Aqaba. Uh, and on Sunday, the folks at that summit, which included Israelis, uh, Americans, uh, Palestinians, Jordanians, etc., um, they said that there would be a halt to new settlements. And then no sooner had that communique been issued that uh, Bibi Netanyahu came out and denied that there will be, in fact, any freeze on settlements. It's very confusing. Can you sort of help us sort that out for us? Can you help sort that out? Yes, I think uh, I think what the Netanyahu administration was doing was trying to put out a fire diplomatically and then turning around and trying to put out a political fire domestically. I think that uh, what Netanyahu may or may not have done in Aqaba was not coordinated with his right wing allies and that there was a great deal of anger. And I think Netanyahu knew that in order to keep his coalition together, regardless of what may or may not have been agreed to in Aqaba, he had to to placate these partners on the far right. Samuel Sokol is a reporter for Haaretz based in Tel Aviv. He is the author of a book about Russian aggression in Ukraine. It's called Putin's Hybrid War and the Jews, Anti-Semitism, Propaganda, and the Displacement of Ukrainian Jewry. Sam Sokol will be speaking about the book and other issues in the news at Betham Synagogue in Baltimore in May. He'll be here on May 3rd. And Sam, I welcome, uh, look forward to welcoming you in person when you're in town. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. And speaking of Ukraine, that's where we will shift our focus after a quick break. Midday on Foreign Affairs continues when we return. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
This is Your Public Radio, 88.1 WYPR.